listening to the Pharmacy Podcast Network. Here's a message from today's episode sponsor. Insulet, makers of Omnipod, are proud to partner with the Pharmacy Podcast Network to support the 2023 APHA Annual Meeting and Exhibition. The Omnipod 5 Automated Insulin Delivery Aid System is indicated for people with type 1 diabetes ages 2 years and older. Omnipod 5 is the first and only tubeless aid system in the United States that is exclusively available in the pharmacy. The Omnipod 5 combines a tubeless, waterproof, wearable pod that integrates with Dexcom G6 CGM to automatically adjust insulin based on glucose trends every 5 minutes. Visit the Omnipod team at booth 216 to learn more about this innovative technology. Disclaimers. The pod has an IP28 rating for up to 25 feet for 60 minutes. The Omnipod 5 controller is not waterproof. The Dexcom G6 is sold separately and requires a separate prescription. Visit omnipod.com safety for additional important safety information. Hey, it is this week in pharmacy already. I can't believe it's another Friday. Here we are. Pharmacy Friday. It is St. Patrick's Day. Happy St. Patrick's Day to all the pharmacists out there and um, pharmacy community, pharmacy professionals, our pharmacy technicians. We got a big show. Uh, We have um, guests that are important, that we want to do everything in our power to get their voices out there. That's what we do here at the Pharmacy Podcast Network. You may not agree with everything that every pharmacist talks about or every pharmacy professional or programming that we have talks about, but if we can't come together and get through um, controversy, uh, program design ideas, um, elevating and innovating pharmacy as a profession, then we'll never be able to spill that out into the rest of healthcare. Everywhere there is a patient a pharmacist belongs. And um, that's a belief that our organization has had from our start in 2009. And I am so proud that the Pharmacy Podcast Network will be media partner for the American Pharmacists Association annual event in Phoenix, Arizona, taking place on March 24th through 27th. Uh, Come see us, we'll be positioned at the APHA's main booth running the Locked On Pharmacy Podcast which is the uh, podcast that um, APHA puts together uh, monthly. We're going to have some special guests uh, helping us, Dr. Candace Alusula, who is a PharmD. She's going to be helping us with press coverage, talking about mostly about burnout and how uh, Dr. Bled uh, Tanoe started Pizza Is Not Working. Um, we have a special guest coming up soon, which we'll uh, be introducing soon, uh, Dr. Chris Adkins who is uh, Pizza's Not Working's um, California um, coverage and, and, and conduit to really strengthen that initiative to, uh, to make sure that our pharmacists and pharmacy technicians have uh, a safe place to work, as well as what that does for our patients in overflow. Um, this Week in Pharmacy has grown. I want to give a shout out to our listeners. Thank you so much for your feedback that you appreciate the quick hits and the information that we're bringing, the guests that we're bringing. It's so much fun having people here in the studio. 
um, and, and really talking about uh, different things that are happening in our industry. I do want to bring on our first guest because we are all under a time crunch today. Uh, we didn't allot enough time for these amazing people. Uh, and I've known uh, Dr. Angela Riley for some time now, and um, I've looked up to her and her advisement and her insights with regards to HIV care. And um, I'd like to um, to uh, welcome uh, Angela to the to the this week in pharmacy. Hello there, Todd. Thank you for having me today. Can you, you hear me? So welcome. I can hear you. You sound great. Awesome. 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 So I I have known you for some time. We hooked up on LinkedIn. I've been watching what you're doing. You're fighting for patients. You're passionate about that. I think that's primary in your life, but secondary in your life is educating other pharmacists about HIV care and the work of the AAHIVM. There's too many letters in alphabet soup in our industry. So I want to turn this over to you. This is all about amplifying your voice today, uh, Angela, and just share with our listeners a little bit about yourself and the AAHIVM. Awesome. Well, again, thank you for allowing me to have this opportunity. I am here as the manager of education and web-based programs in the Academy, American Academy of HIV Medicine, which is the AAHIVM. And the reason I feel it's critically important that we bring this before pharmacists is because we have several tools and resources that will adequately equip all pharmacists to ultimately serve the patient population, those with HIV and those at risk of, of, of contracting HIV, and then ultimately sitting for our credential, which recognizes them as leaders in HIV care from the pharmacy perspective. And why, do, why is that important? As you and I shared, I initially, as a geriatric uh, specialist, was we see the numbers increasing in our geriatric population of all STIs, including HIV, because our geriatric population, one, doesn't want to have conversations with everyone, letting them know that they're having sex. And yeah. two, they once thought that condoms were only to prevent pregnancy. So we have to use our skill sets as pharmacists, being in front of the community, having those conversations in any atmosphere. If you're in a retail establishment, if you're in ambulatory care and talking to not only our geriatric populations, but as I mentioned to you, our cisgender heterosexual women, because although we've seen declines in terms of HIV status, new diagnoses over the past couple of years, within cisgender heterosexual black women, particularly we've seen increases. And again, how can we affect change? As pharmacists, we're always at the forefront. We were at the forefront for COVID, out there vaccinating, immunizing, educating everyone, encouraging them to receive the vaccine. Um, Monkeypox, we were right there in the midst of it, in the thick of it, not only developing protocols, but making sure we had populations um, it, in line, they knew what they needed to do or where to access and obtain that vaccine as well. And with our long acting agents, which are novel uh, products on the forefront of HIV care and uh, prevention, pharmacists are there again, not only leading the charge, but ensuring patients are covered and then able to receive this medication according to the deadlines, according to the schedules, 
and with as little upfront cost as possible. So again, pharmacists are there. We're here. We're not going anywhere. And we need to be prepared to do what we need to do for our communities. Thank you. Thank you so much for this, Angela. I, I really appreciate when pharmacists fit into all aspects of healthcare, um, from pediatrics the whole way to um, hospice care at the at the last of our breath in, on earth and where pharmacists fit wherever there's a patient really a pharmacist care fits i also have so much respect for you for um, talking about our seniors educating our seniors i think of all of our long-term care pharmacies that are out there the consultants that travel to the nursing homes and they have to be um, the black and white fact facts giver and saying listen sex is part of your life, you have to understand that just because you're uh, 79 years old and you know, you're know you not worried about a pregnancy issue, you should be concerned with, um, if in fact you're sexually active, concerned with your health from, from STD. So I think that's a re refreshing and, a, uh, and, and it's, it's needed in so many aspects to make it a norm rather than us feeling shy about it. There's stigma. Um, not only about that, but there's also stigma around treatment um, and how patients are put into corners because of, of conditions. Um, share with our listeners kind of some of your, um, your insights and, and thoughts around stigma and how it prevents us from moving forward with care. Oh, absolutely. Now, stigma is one area. I think we talked about that last time we were together. Yeah. The barriers to care, number one, across all matters of health, Stigma prevents um, access, prevents education, prevents uh, assessment, diagnosis, treatment. Stigma prevents the accomplishment of much that otherwise mu must be done. And stigma, not only in, a, in healthcare, but if you feel as if a system is developed or has been developed to prevent you from living equitably, or if you feel as if a system was designed to prevent you from living a healthy life, then you're not going to access the system. But that's where pharmacists come in again. And I, and I always highlight, it's not just community pharmacists, it's all pharmacists, right. because I'm not, I'm a, I'm a nonprofit pharmacist now, but I work diligently to make sure that not only my target population, which are other healthcare practitioners, have the information, but as advocates, as educators, lifelong educators, it's important that we face the public sharing this information as well. And the more people understand, the more people are aware then the, the perceived barriers or the perceived biases are reduced or eliminated. And that's on both ends, the patient's end, the practitioner's end. Remember, uh, as we talk about when we're providing educations, education to clinicians, the interaction begins at the front door. So even if your receptionist is not welcoming, not attentive, you will lose a patient and ultimately they will stop seeking treatment and then you're responsible for their outcome. And, and that means a lot, you know, that means a lot. And, and, and that's from a cut to diabetes, to hyperlipidemia, to HIV. We do not want to lose people to care because that's what we've committed our lives to. And that's important. If pharmacists are listening and they want to learn and collaborate and, and get in touch with you, what is the best way to reach out to you, Angela? I have information I'm going to share on show notes 
But just in case they're listening right now, how, how, what's the best way to access? And, and Absolutely. Well, you can give my email address on the show notes. That's okay. perfectly fine. But I am accessible via LinkedIn and Twitter. I love tweeting with everyone. We start there and then we climb on up the ladder in terms of relationship. <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> we start tweeting one another and then um, whatever you need. I'm all about collaborations. Again, this our relationship began through a conversation on LinkedIn yep. um, about one of the articles we published. Uh, we're still very much interested in when I say we, the National Pharmaceutical Association, where I am the speaker of the house and also a member of the education committee, where we write a lot of articles on biases and um, stigma and, and, and methods to reduce such so that we can receive quality care. And when I say we, I mean minoritized populations who have traditionally been left out of conversations. And if you look at the data, are at the top of most leading causes of death. And we need to change that. So when I say we, in terms of the publications, that's NPHA. And um, I'm always looking for collaborations and ideas because the goal is ultimately to end the epidemic, the HIV epidemic, which is my passion, but ultimately to ensure equitable care for all, yep. period, period. It's, it's so. your knowledge and it's your passion, Angela, that gets me excited. So I'm going to commit to um, to coming back to you and asking for your participation in future interviews um, so that we can actually have an entire uh, twerks episode just on your uh, guests that you bring in and that we start to like build some collaboration with. But oh, I would this, love this that. Was good, this was a good starting point for this week in pharmacy. Yes. But Todd, you know, I'm shy and I don't like to talk. Did you, <laughs> can you tell? I'm very shy. I, believe <laughs> I think you do such a good job. So very proud of you as a pharmacist and leading healthcare and, and what you're doing with the, um, with the AAHIVM and and your knowledge. So um, I'm going to have you back, I promise. Awesome, awesome. Well, thank you again. And thank you to everyone listening. I look forward to connecting. Excellent. All right. Well, we'll be right back. Um, I can't wait to introduce um, uh, Dr. Uh, Chris Atkins. Okay. Well, we have our next guest, Dr. Christopher Adkins. I'm excited that you're here. Ever since the explosion uh, that started with Dr. Blood Tanoe and uh, the purpose of pizzas not working um, hit the uh, social media waves, um, I have been a fan of hers. I've, I've uh, wrapped our, our publication around what pizzas not working is doing. And now it's, it's explosive. And sometimes there's a lot of news that comes out. Sometimes that there's things that are happening behind the scenes. But what can't happen is if we don't have other pharmacists gathering with um, the entire initiative to really advocate for uh, better workplace environments and safety. The, and that's, of course, for our techs and our pharmacists, but it impacts our patients. So, um, Chris, I'm so glad that you're here. I'm glad to be here with you, too. And I believe I'm in the same place with you on Bled. Back at the beginning of the pandemic, when she showed up, it was kind of like a breath of fresh air to me. 
It was, and she was speaking from her heart. She remembers several instances that she experienced at, at her employer and the oversight and that wasn't kind of connecting with workplace safety. Um, and, it, and it opened my eyes to really understanding. I wasn't sure what she was, what her narrative was. And I know we're in a place and time from a sociological perspective that sometimes people don't trust people right away because they don't know what their angle is. I'm using air quotes for those people listening to the podcast. But when you can, when you are consistent, when you show up uh, week after week, year after year, you know, to, to do the same thing, that's what's proven um, blood stance. And now it's not just about her. It's 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 about the movement and it's about your participation in the great state of California as well. So share with our listeners uh, what you do in support of pizzas not working. So I am the California team lead for Pizza Is Not Working. They have us broken down in different state teams because, as you know, a lot of listeners know, each state has different laws and different ways they go about doing things in pharmacy. So we kind of broke it down that way. And what I do is just kind of lead the group that we have in California. And I, I use lead very loosely. I just kind of run meetings. I mean, we all work pretty independently and pretty uh, equal level there. So we all just have different things that we do and specialize in. I'm from community pharmacy. So that's kind of where I specialize and talk a lot about community pharmacy, like my experiences in community pharmacy and my experiences going through the pandemic and working for larger chain and corporate pharmacies. So I do have a lot of experience in that regard. So I think that's kind of my niche area. And I also am one of the rare people in the world that actually enjoys leading reading very specific legal language. Mm-hmm. So I do like to talk about the different laws that are coming up. And this year is kind of a big year for laws in California. So I wanted to kind of talk about those too. But as far as pizza is not working goes, I guess we can all kind of have our own idea of what we want to represent for pizza is not working. Of course, it's about working conditions and improving our patients' lives and doing that by improving our own lives, our own working conditions. But to me, it kind of means upholding the oath that we took to be a pharmacist. And I had kind of forgotten about that oath at a certain point. And uh, about a year ago, I had to go back and kind of reread it and see what that meant to me. And uh, there were a couple points of it that I thought were very specific to what I was doing that I honestly wasn't upholding. And I'll just kind of go over those. Yeah, please uh, do. One of the, yeah, one of the main things is the first point, I will consider the welfare of humanity and relief of suffering my primary concern. And uh, I don't think that I was doing that. I really don't think that corporate and chain pharmacies put that first. I mean, obviously, we know that the profits are first for them. And I kind of gotten into the mindset of it was so bad for me that I was kind of protecting myself, my own well-being. And I forgot that I have to put the patient before even myself. That's the oath that I took. That's the very first line of the oath that I took. And then another, the last three points are I will uh, I will hold myself and my colleagues to the highest principles of our profession's moral, ethical and legal conduct. I don't feel like I was doing that to the best of my abilities either. And then I will embrace and advocate changes that improve patient care. I wasn't doing that. I mean, honestly, I didn't have the time. I was just trying to survive on a day-to-day basis. Mm. So I'm trying to make up for that now by advocating as best I can and kind of leading the team here. And then the last point is I will utilize my knowledge, skills, expertise, and values to prepare the next generation of pharmacists. So I feel like it's my obligation to help enact these laws that will make pharmacy better for students in the future, because I know pharmacy is becoming a less attractive job option for a lot of people. A lot of less people are going to pharmacy schools now. And that is, that is kind of sad because it is, it is a good job. It can be a very good job, 
but a lot of the independence that we've had as health professionals has kind of been taken away by corporate pharmacies. And I really want to get that back and get pharmacy to at least as good of a place as it used to be, if not better. I think the future is very bright into this advocacy work. I really realize that. Pharmacy goes through cycles where we have an influx of participants and people in schools and what we know the numbers are coming out for um, pharmacists that will be looking for specific positions. And that cycle um, always changes. It goes through many different variances in, 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 in people's reactions to the markets. What I, I think is most glaring and pharmacists are in a position to take advantage. And when I mean advantage, I don't mean just for pharmacists' sake. I mean really for public health sake. And that is that we're going to be missing, um, and I can't remember what the stat is. I should have brought it up. We're going to be missing so many primary care providers in the next five to 20 years um, just because of aging and because of the fact that they're going to be retiring and moving on. And we're not going to have um, anywhere with 330 million Americans enough physicians to do what the public thinks that a primary care physician does. And many of what duties they are doing today could, in fact, be done by a um, pharmacist once the treatment program was put into action. Mm -hmm. And anything surrounding medication management, whether that be running um, a point of care test on something, whether that's blood testing, pharmacogenomics testing, all of this testing to extract more data once that treatment gets started. That's all coming back to the pharmacist. And I, and I think that that will show a need for pharmacists. There's 305,000 active pharmacists in the United States right now. That won't be enough. So I, I see, Chris, us going through a time in, our, in your lifetime, my lifetime, where we're going to be like, hey, we need more pharmacists. And so oh, I think that's, that's powerful. Absolutely. And that's actually an excellent segue into one of the laws that's coming into effect in California this year. That's... Um, Right now, it's Assembly Bill 317 by Weber, and it's for pharmacist services coverage. So in California and a few other states, pharmacists are allowed to do a lot of things like, like Dr. Riley said, prov providing the pre-exposure prophylaxis, post-exposure prophylaxis for HIV. We can also provide birth control. We obviously do immunizations. We can provide naloxone for overdoses. We can provide nicotine replacement therapy. The problem is, insurance doesn't recognize us as healthcare providers. So we can't be reimbursed by the insurance company for that. So you can say, hey, come to my pharmacy. I'm totally accessible. I'm easier to get an appointment with than your doctor to get any of these services that you would like, but you have to pay cash. So, you know, why would I do that if I could go to my doctor and get it covered by my insurance for free? Because most of the people that need these services are usually lower income. You know, it's not the richer people that can't afford to pay for them. We're trying to provide access to people that really can't afford it. And if their insurance isn't going to cover it, that basically means they don't have access. So it is kind of a discriminatory, discriminatory stance that insurance companies have taken against pharmacists who are healthcare providers because they don't want to pay for our services and don't recognize the benefit of it. But this law would require at least commercial insurance companies to cover those services that are provided by pharmacies. And I think that can kind of open up the doors to a whole clinical realm of pharmacy that we're missing out. And that could also make a lot, of people, a lot of people more interested in the career and in retail pharmacy in general, because a lot of people leave to go into more clinical roles or hospital roles. So that would open up a more clinical role in retail pharmacy. So I think that that would be 
you know, a very good piece of legislator, legislature that's coming across this year. And another one that kind of goes along with that that Dr. Riley will really like is actually for Senate Bill 339, and that's from Wiener, and that's specifically for HIV pre-exposure prophylaxis. So in California, we are allowed to provide it, but there were a lot of stipulations put into it that decreases medication access for patients. One thing is it's limited to a 60-day supply, and you can also only provide it once, essentially. Then you have to send the patient to a doctor. So you can say, hey, you can come into the pharmacy, but I can only help you for 60 days, and then you can't come back to me, and you have to find a doctor. So now we can give them 60 days, but what's going to happen after that? We have no idea. Maybe they go to the doctor, maybe they don't, and then we still have the issue of the fact that they have to pay for the service out of pocket. So those two kind of go hand in hand. And those are two of probably the most important things as far as improving the profession, I guess, from a reimbursement standpoint that we are looking at in the next year. Another one is actually directly to uh, limit uh, PBMs, pharmacy benefit managers, um, role in the healthcare system or the um, advantages that they've taken in the healthcare system, I suppose, would be more accurate. That's actually why I contacted you because I saw another episode where someone was talking about PBMs and I had just left the state capital where we were talking about this law. And I thought, oh, perfect, you know, kind of the, the stars align. And I was like, this would be the perfect time to talk about that. And the main thing that the legislature would do is allow is require the PBMs to register with the Board of Pharmacy, which allows the Board of Pharmacy to then regulate the PBMs and kind of shed some light on the gray area. And it also require them to report how they make their profits every year. So they won't be allowed to operate in the gray anymore and just say, we reduce costs, we're a cost savings company, and then never really actually have to say where those cost savings are or if they ever, you if they actually really do exist. Right. So I really hope that this gets passed. I mean, it's gonna, there's gonna be a lot of pushback on it because PBMs are an extremely powerful lobbying group. So this needs a lot of support. And I think it's gonna be really good, especially since the FTC probe is going on into PBMs nationally a couple other states and attorney generals are also looking at PBMs. So this has got a lot of traction right now and it's going to have a lot of opposition. So I really want to help get that rolling. And the California Pharmacists Association is also supporting it. So I think that's going to be very helpful. California Pharmacists Association has been an amazing leader in the pharmacy profession. They've done some things in building um, provider status for the state and how hard they worked on that for the state and how uh, there are other states that watch and replicate and pull from the efforts of the, of the of the state and of California Pharmacists Association. Their uh, WPE is coming up. The the Western Pharmacy Exchange event is going to be coming up. That we're hoping we're going to get to. We're not sure if we're going to get there yet. But I like what you're you're saying and agree with you, Chris. That there's a ripple effect. There's a domino effect. That when PBM reform gets in place, it's going to loosen up funds that were supposed to be for medication management which doesn't, we're not just talking about dispensing the drug. We're talking about sitting down with the patient, going through drug, drug, drug food, drug allergy, understanding what's happening in their lives. Are you getting enough food? Do you have transportation? Are you going to your uh, follow-up appointments? Pharmacists are that check, you know, that, that check on the list of are you living and are you in the right realm of health so that we can keep you from having to go back into more, se <clears throat> more serious care and um, that's why I'm excited that your part of pizza is not working because it's full circle. We can get the PBMs in line and doing what they're supposed to do. 
then we're going to be able to um, serve more patients because you'll have time to do so because we'll have more focus on medication management follow-up. Right. Absolutely. And I think pretty much every pharmacist is going to be in support of that. I mean, we've seen firsthand how the PBMs have affected us. The general population doesn't really realize what they are. And I think that's kind of been by design by them. You know, it's kind of it's nice to be um, the Wizard of Oz when you're behind the curtain. You know, you don't really have to take responsibility, but you can kind of run the show at the same time. So they have benefited from that a lot. I think the the last bill I was going to talk about is actually one that the Board of Pharmacy started from their Med-Air subcommittee they created. So there were there was an increase in medication errors during the pandemic, which they noticed, and they created a whole subcommittee to kind of address that. And one of the things that they realized in uh, creating a survey for that is that retail pharmacists lack a lot of the authority, the staffing, the safe environment that they need to run a pharmacy well and not have medication errors. So they came up with uh, Assembly Bill 1286, and that's to address medication errors. And this one will probably be a little controversial because there are a lot of points in it that maybe not every pharmacist will agree, like with the PBM laws and the pharmacy service coverages. One of them is allowing techs to do uh, vaccinations, any kind of vaccinations. And there are stipulations in there to have extra techs in the pharmacy with that to kind of account for another technician doing the vaccine. That frees up the pharmacist to do the more specific consultation work and the verifying of the prescriptions, like the drug-drug interactions that you talked about earlier, the more clinical side of it. Mm-hmm. It also would give more authority to the pharmacist in charge or the pharmacist on duty to handle the scheduling specifically of the pharmacies, because we know as pharmacists that we don't control the scheduling a lot in corporate pharmacies, at least it's handled by, you know, a scheduler that's somewhere off, you know, across the country that we've never met before. So it gives us the authority to actually control the scheduling, control the staffing. And if we feel like the pharmacy is in an unsafe working condition, we can close the pharmacy right now in corporate settings. We have no authority to close the pharmacy. I mean, I've been in, at least two situations in my career where I should have closed the pharmacy immediately. And I didn't early on, I was in Santa Rosa whenever they had fires up in Northern California and I have asthma. So I was having like asthma symptoms, like an asthma attack almost. And I called my district manager and said, Hey, I'm, you know, I'm having trouble breathing. Like I can't, you know, breathe very well. I can't go into work. And this was during COVID also. So it was like, you know, any breathing symptom automatically you have COVID. (laughs) So, so I was like, no, I don't have COVID. I have asthma. But I, you know, I need to go get an inhaler because I don't have one. And they, they asked me to go into the pharmacy and open it. And I was a brand new grad. So, of course, I said yes, because the only word I know is yes, apparently. <laughs> so I went in, I opened the pharmacy, and I just sat there for two hours until someone could relieve me, just not doing anything, just wheezing, staring at a box of albuterol. You know, like if I really need it, I'm going to open this and use it and just deal with the consequences later. But I should have just not gone in. I should have closed the pharmacy and left and gone to an urgent care. I shouldn't have been there at all. And they asked me to do that. I I should have said no. I should have closed the pharmacy. And later on, a few years ago, I actually got unfortunately robbed at one of the pharmacies. Fortunately, you know, there was no weapon presented or anything. Everything turned out fine. And the person left very peacefully. And no one even knew what happened, actually, except for me and the technician. So then my first thought, of course, was, okay, I need to close the pharmacy. And my second thought was, wait, I have to ask permission to close the pharmacy. Like, I shouldn't have to ask permission to close the pharmacy after I got robbed, you know, but that's the way that the corporate policies have been set up. So this law gives us more authority to be the pharmacist in charge, not the pharmacist in liability. 
And that's kind of the word I've started to use to describe what the position is, because we're really not in charge of a lot. We just have all the liability of the pharmacy. If anything goes wrong, our license is on the line. If a patient gets harmed, we have to deal with that. You know, we have to deal with the moral, you know, own taking of that we harm someone. The company doesn't have to deal with it. The company doesn't care about it. The company doesn't have a license really that they have to protect other than the store's license. So there is a lot more responsibility on us without the actual in-chargedness, if that's a word, it's probably not, that we need to run the pharmacy effectively and safely. So like I said, this bill is going to be kind of controversial, but I think it has a lot of really good points in it and could really change the way pharmacies are run in California and hopefully have that ripple effect across the country so that other states start making changes like this. Chris, this has been awesome. Uh, you and I have to talk um, and drill down into follow-up for what's happening in the state of California because it will have impact on other states in our nation. So I'll have to have you back, but I wanted to thank you for being here with me on This Week in Pharmacy. Awesome. I appreciate being here. All right. We'll, we'll talk to you soon. Thank you. All right. Thank you. Have a good day. Hey. about today's guest i have followed uh this guy in pharmacy for about three to four years now and it's a special opportunity to inject a new business model into what is pharmacy and what is community pharmacy more specifically i'm excited because i know that there are other pharmacies throughout the country that could benefit from a cash-based or club-based model to do more for your patients with more control over your business, pulling yourself away from what we know PBMs do to the joy of, of being a pharmacist and being a pharmacy owner. Um, I want to welcome to the Pharmacy Podcast, uh, Dr. Kyle McCormick. Um, Kyle, I have been waiting for you to join us here on Torx, um, and I've been a fan of yours for years, so thanks so much for coming. Oh yeah, definitely. Had to check out the studio. <laughs> yeah, it's much. It's quite nice. It? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm glad that you're here, and we're following up on a amazing Twerks opportunity to talk with um, Chris uh, Antipas and Sean Naren, and we we jumped into about a five to ten minute uh, um, um, insert on you and what Blueberry Pharmacy is doing. So. Um, Share with our guests, you know, why I'm so excited about you. Um, it's not just because you're <laughs> Kyle McCormick, it's because you're the founder of Blueberry Pharmacy. But tell us about why did you want to become a pharmacist in the first place? And and obviously, I have a lot of questions for you. Uh, oh, yeah. Well, and thanks for having me. Um, I heard that uh, twerk, Torx's episode. I guess that's how you pronounce it. <laughs> this, this week in pharmacy. Can you twerk? <laughs> yeah. uh, I heard that uh, insert. And uh, thank you for bringing that up. Uh, very cool. Um, but yeah, so I'm, I'm founder of Blueberry Pharmacy and, uh, it's a cost plus pharmacy. So unlike a lot of pharmacies that are out there, what makes it unique is the way we price medications. And you ask, why do I, why did I want to go into pharmacy? And I honestly don't know, like <laughs> I, I can think back to, you know, what I said during the interview and what, but I think I, you know, I was a college kid and I like sciences and I liked helping people and, um, you know, there was a couple different career paths that I, I was looking towards. And 
pharmacy kind of allowed me to do a lot of the, you know, the helping people and, and uh, some sciences and, and things like that. I do think that I was heavily influenced by spending a couple hours with a local pharmacist owner of a, a pharmacy in Somerset, Pennsylvania, a uh, friend's m- mom who owned Finley's pharmacy at the time. So I, I got to spend an hour, a couple of hours here and there with her, and I got to see her interaction with patients, the, the, the story, the history of the pharmacy and the community, how it was kind of a staple to the community. So I was drawn to that aspect of it, not even the, the, the clinical nature of it or medications or anything like that, more drawn to the, the environment. And so I think, you know, if I, if I look back, that was probably one of the more influential uh, and, and why I probably chose the community path, the independent path versus hospital or something like that was yeah. that experience. You know, I, I even think like they still had the wooden nickels. They were up in the attic. They weren't like actively handing them <laughs> out, but they would uh, they would honor them if somebody would bring bring in a wooden nickel. I think you can count it towards five cents uh, toward, wow. towards the purchase. Um, but yeah, I saw like the crates up in the attic of those. So I was like, man, there's a lot of history here. I think at the time it was 80 years old. The pharmacy was 80 mm-hmm. years old. Uh, and so then, you know, just got me interested in independent pharmacy. And so pursued that throughout college and then went into work for a couple of independents uh, post before opening up my own pharmacy. Before we recorded today, um, when you when you came to the studio, um, we were talking about the class of 2014 of of Pitt and how many amazing unicorns and pharmacists in the, in the, in the thought leadership that was coming out of that class. Um, Brandon, Dr. Brandon Antonopoulos is part of that class and he's our new COO for, um, for Pennsylvania pharmacists association, as well as president of PPCN, um, which is really driving, um, new contracting between, uh, health systems and, and payers between them and, and community pharmacy. And then there's, um, what's Ravi's Ravi's last name? Patel. Patel. Ravi Patel. There was you. Who else was in your class that was? Just yeah, out? you know, we 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 formed a group that we informally called uh, Top Drug uh, and had a logo based off of Top Gun. That <laughs> uh, was heavily influenced by Brandon's uh, love of pop culture and and comics. He was and, known as Iron Man for a while. He's known as Iron Man. So yeah, part of that group was like Derek Sampy, uh, Natalie. Um, I'm trying to think who else was big. Um, Andy Menard. Um, those are the, those are, I'm probably going to leave somebody out and <laughs> offend, but, and then lower class, uh, like underclassmen, there, there was uh, Kyle McGrath was heavily involved mm-hmm. as well. He's now, um, he actually was just in town a couple of weeks ago. Um, so yeah, it was just a very involved group of, of people. Um, you know, we, we were trying to do things differently. Uh, implemented some things that are still around, which is really cool. Uh, started as a group, we kind of started the innovations lab, which is what Ravi now leads. Yep. Um, we, we did, um, made our, our pit form go online, which is the documentation system that, uh, the school pharmacy uses just played around the technology and, and, you know, injected it into the education, injected it into a community pharmacy and just kind of tossed around ideas and, and tried to see what stuck. I think it's special when I put myself in the midst of outstanding providers, uh, pharmacists, physicians, uh, business people who really think outside the box. It gets my creative like juices flowing. It gets me excited. That's, I think that's what was happening in that group. You were really feeding off of each other. And out of that came your competition model 
that you won that competition. And that was the, um, the inception of cost plus pharmacy. Mm -hmm. So I want you to tell that story of like how that yeah. even came up in you're what a P4 and you come up with that idea. Yeah. Back then it wasn't cost plus. It was just an independent pharmacy. Uh, we were going to do traditional model. Um, but that was a really cool competition run by a PPA. Uh, unfortunately, I don't know that it still exists. It was called the achieving independence competition. Mm -hmm. Uh, if it still exists, so we'll try to promote it. <laughs> we'll try um, to get it out. <laughs> I, I haven't seen it, uh, but um, I know that there's changing up the meeting structure and probably COVID affected some things. So it's not there. Hopefully it comes back. But it was a state-level competition, business plan competition for pharmacy students, um, similar to the national-level NCPA competition. And so, you know, we competed. We came up with a business plan. Uh, unfortunately, not much has moved on to Blueberry because uh, it was traditional payment model. Um, a lot of it focused around uh, services. And uh, one of the big things that we loved was we're going to have it kind of feel like a Carnegie Science Center mm -hmm. so that, you know, you come in, there's demonstrations, there's like um, things that you can interact with to learn about the body, learn about how medications work. Yep. That was going to be like our front end retail set section was more of just like an entertainment section. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that was that was probably a pretty expensive front, <laughs> front end. Uh, but yeah, I haven't haven't implemented any of that there. But really, what did stick around was the love of the entrepreneurial spirit uh, and just um, thinking about how do we implement things, how do we actually make a business out of something. Uh, and so definitely, it got me thinking. Well, maybe I do actually want to own my own pharmacy someday uh, through that competition and and yeah. And then you moved on to Gaddy Pharmacy up in Indiana, Pennsylvania. Mm -hmm. um, Shout out to, you know, what was Gaddy back in the day. It was an amazing family run, independently owned pharmacy. And you worked with Dr. Stephanie. Talk to us about like that experience. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So uh, after um, pharmacy schools did a PGY1 community residency, 50% of the time was with Gaddy Pharmacy. I was just doing some of their sync programs, some of their staffing, um, some of their clinical work, relationships with doctors, trying to build up those. And then the other 50% was um, working with a startup called RX Health Connect mm -hmm. and kind of building out the clin a clinical documentation system for pharmacists to use. Um, and so we got that, you know, built, it, built and started and um, also doing MTM with uh, out of that, that, that practice too. So you know, after completion of the residency, I stayed on with Gaddy Pharmacy and uh, became director of their clinical services there. So I was in charge of like trying to build out MTM services, trying to um, grow our vaccine services, um, trying to, we did, we actually piloted a, and actually successfully launched a membership model uh, for, for patients to pay directly for um, at, at Gaddy Pharmacy called it Gaddy Gold, Gaddy VIP. Mm -hmm. And part of that was uh, reduced cost of medications. Um, they also got uh, packaging services. So it was how patients were able to get our disposable services. They'd have to be a member of the pharmacy in order to get that. And so that's what really, you know, proved out the idea that patients are willing to pay mm -hmm. for services and membership. You know, at the time, there was only a handful of membership models in pharmacy. And so it really proved, you know, quickly we grew to 200 members in the pharmacy uh, within like a couple months. Um, and so... I was like, oh, shoot, you know, there might be something to membership model in pharmacy. And so th that definitely, you know, stuck around and, and became a very much a core of what Blueberry Pharmacy is as well. So there wasn't enough time between the implementation of that and what was happening with the PBM contracts <clears throat> to keep it sustainable because 
Gaddy after being in business for how how long was Gaddy around in community? I'll probably mess it up, but I want to say like 70, 80 years. Yeah, probably. Was, I knew yeah. it was a long time. And then it it had to close based on the the gutting of what community pharmacies going through and pockets of community pharmacies are going through the same thing right now mm-hmm. where there there's some pharmacies that have insulated themselves against it based on driving out a CVS or a Walgreens or a Rite Aid because of their service and because of the closeness of the community. And then sometimes that's not enough. Mm-hmm. So that's what frustrates me when I see community pharmacy doing more for their communities than just being a pharmacy, but really being a destination health hub. It's an extension of treatment plans and programs that are implemented by specialists and physicians and primary care and pediatrics. So what is the formula that we can combine a cash-based cost plus pharmacy model, a club, and not losing out on um, the opportunity to grow this. Like if you said to a pharmacist, pharmacy owner that's listening right now, boy, I'd love to transform myself into a club-based cash-only you know, pharmacy, what's the runway? What are you going to tell them? Hey, have this much in reserve or have this much ready to go. It's going to take you, and I'm sure it's different for a bunch mm-hmm. of different places depending on your community too, but can you give our pharmacy owners kind of an idea of what do you have to be ready for to shift to a cost plus? I mean, you're starting up. Well, shifting is different than starting. Okay. Um, so shifting, really, you have to be willing to breach contract. Okay. <laughs> so, I mean, uh, because there's a lot of ways that you can kind of think about structuring a cost plus model, but it all comes down to whether or not you're affecting your usual and customary in some way. And so really shifting is tricky just because there is that potential that something you would do wouldn't be in line with the contract that you have signed with a PBM. And really, if you're in the PBM space, you've agreed to their terms. So if you've signed a contract with a PBM, that's a, that's a, you know, a binding document. So um, that's why we also advocate for, you know, we can't just sign every single contract that comes in front of us. But if you're in the PBM space, um, you're, you've chosen to be at the mercy of the PBM. So even if something is allowed, even if some kind of cost plus membership model is allowed within the current contract, that could be written out the following year. Um, and so that's just the, the model. They're, the models are kind of at odds with each other if you think about it. We're completely middleman free. We don't have any contracts in place with any third parties. And so um, we choose to do things our own ways. Uh, if you decide to si- sign contracts with third parties, you are now responsible for what is in that contract. So really they're at odds with each other. So the, the, the idea of easily or simply, you know, migrating from one model to the other transitioning, um, it's not like, it's not easy. It's not clean. Um, I'm, I'm sure it could be done. I'm sure that we'll see it done. Um, but, uh, it's definitely a little bit more, you want to have some lawyers on board. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, you know, the idea of starting up, I think it just takes a, a grit, a willingness. It also takes the right community. Uh, do I think it could work in rural? I think so. But I think that you know, it's got to be a right, the right, uh, for, for lack of a better word, like payer mix. Um, whenever we were starting up, we were looking for not high-end uh, wealthy, uh, not low-end uh, in terms of socioeconomic status, just because, lower end socioeconomic status they're going to have medicaid Mm -hmm. um higher percentage and 
cost plus where nothing's free uh, and everything's over three dollars versus medicare medicaid copays there's not much uh like our customer base is not going to exist um and then similarly on high income areas you could definitely make a, a cost plus work in fact uh, one of the models that we looked at as an inspiration for a membership model is cedra pharmacy out of new york very high end they're not cash only but they do offer a membership and the membership's ridiculous um hmm. like it's I don't even know how much it costs because they don't list the cost on their website. That's how mm -hmm. you know it's like high end restaurant. Uh, but one of the benefits is like a limo service to oh, and wow. to and from your uh, doctor's appointments, uh, a nurse accompanying accompanying uh, you to your doctor's appointments. Um, you know, five hundred dollar a year donation to a charity of your choice. Which I'm Jeez. like, if you're gonna donate money, why don't you just do it? Right. <laughs> like, why do you pay a pharmacy, pharmacy to donate on your behalf? Like that's kind of weird, but. Um, they must have clients that pay for those memberships because it still shows up on their website five years later mm -hmm. and they're still in business and it looks like they're thriving. So um, that membership model really stood out. Um, but yeah, I think high end wasn't really on our radar just because they're a little less price sensitive. And for a cost plus model, one of the big drawing factors of it is uh, the, the idea that somehow you can get medications cheaper than you would through your insurance. And so yep. if somebody isn't really caring about how much they're paying already, they're not going to um, necessarily be drawn to a model that could potentially save the money. So they're a little less price sensitive. So we wanted a um, middle socioeconomic um, people that would be a little bit more price sensitive. Uh, so that's why I don't know that initially, I don't know that it would work in every community, but I think as the idea of cost plus gets out there and as it's uh, less about just saving money on prescriptions, more about the freedom that's associated with a cost plus model and without third parties, without insurance dictating what you can and cannot do. I think that level of service and that level of freedom will really resonate with a lot of patients. Mm -hmm. And so I think it actually expands the the locations, the demographics that are willing to pay for it. Yeah, I, I found it interesting. I want everyone to pay attention. This article came out um, in, in 2020. Um, I think it was in um, August. And this is um, about um, a, a patient family talking about their um, Columbus, Ohio, Pinkerton Pharmacy um, being a, a staple of the community and how the um, pharmacy owner of Pinkerton Pharmacy, um, Nate Hooks, um, he has one pharmacy that operates traditional pharmacy and he has another pharmacy called Freedom Pharmacy that is cash only and club based. And there is an example of a pharmacy owner and just a shout out to pharmacy owners out there if you really want to remove the pbm from your business and you have multiple pharmacies maybe picking one to go cash based and club based and another traditional in order to wean yourself off of that maybe it would be easier to do it that way whereas you jumped in 100 percent right mm -hmm. from the beginning is club based probably easier yeah in the sense that you already have established relationships with patients that you could refer to the one pharmacy establish your relationships with providers it's still hard from a sense of you know potential breach of contract in that i think it's express scripts contract or something like that actually says that you can't have ownership in two different models one that participates in contracts one that doesn't but they can they can have ownership of oh, yeah, multiple yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, they still all participate. <laughs> yeah, they own everything, right? Um, but yeah, so I think from an ease of um, growing and building and not starting from scratch, I think it's definitely easier. But you know, it's still that challenge of um, of third parties and, and the contracts that might be involved. So that's why a lot of it, um, the transition or you know somebody that's looking to do it, 
in addition to her uh, transition from the current model, I think is still uh, why we don't see people just jumping right into it is because they're they're fearful, understandably, you know, yep. of those contracts. How many um, pharmacies are now part of your network? Because you have a network called Cost Plus Pharmacy. Yes, yeah, so we have a price checker called Cost Plus Pharmacies. Uh, dot com. I wouldn't call it a network. Uh, they just kind of pay to have their prices shown. Um, but I think there's probably two, three, uh, I should know the number off the top of my head. I want to say five uh, are displayed on there now. Um, but yeah, the whole idea there is to have a, a way as we talk about the model and as we are kind of like a figurehead for the, the model of cost plus pharmacy um, to promote all the different pharmacies that are out there. Uh, you have to type it in the search box. There you go. Search for like Oregon. Oregon. Uh, Beth. Can't even spell Oregon. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we'll give Beth a shout out. But yeah, Access Access Prime Pharmacy out of Oregon. Um, but yeah, it's a, it's a way for pharmacies to have their prices displayed directly to patients, but also be part of a greater kind of network of, of pharmacies. And call it a network in a sense, but um, uh, a price checker. Um, but yeah, it's a, because we found that one of the best marketing tools and how patients really hear about us is through our price checker. Um, it allows prescribers to go on, see how much things cost. It's really, a, we, we knew it was, we, we all realize that it's a thing that patients would want because we, want, we don't like the black hole of pharmacy. We don't like the black hole of healthcare. Of, yep. But for some reason, independent pharmacy, we haven't really adopted it yet. Again, it has to do with usual and customary and not wanting to breach contract and you know the four or ten dollars plans they kind of had their day um the free meds the free metformin the free they had their day too but uh, i think we'll eventually find our way to just fair and transparent prices for all medications because what i like to say is um as much as you like pharmacy owner x likes to think that their lisinopril is somehow superior to walmart's lisinopril at the end of the day they're just both solco um, manufacturer lisinopril mm -hmm. And the, there's no difference in the drug product. What's different is our service. However, in, in pharmacy, we somehow price our, our products. We don't price our service. We get paid based on the product, um, not how it should be. And so that's really what the, the idea of the cost plus movement is about getting paid for the service that you're providing, not for the product. So that mm -hmm. you say, yes, I realize that my lisinopril is the same as Walmart's, but our service is a lot different. I'll deliver it to you. I'll take 10 minutes to talk to you about your lisinopril. If you want to not have the, that long conversation, you're welcome to go to Walmart. But um, we, we provide the higher level of service. So really, the whole idea of Cost Plus is to get paid the same amount on every sing single prescription that we fill, regardless of whether it's four capsules of amoxicillin or some specialty medication. We get paid the same amount because it takes the same amount of level level of effort and, and time and, and um, knowledge and education and technician time and all that stuff for filling um, those two medications. So that's really the whole idea of Cost Plus uh, is kind of that payment for service of dispensing a prescription. So when you and I were talking before recording, you were doing an amazing job at dissecting the reality versus the sizzle of what the public thinks Cost Plus is just because Mark Cuban as is, is, is an amazing entrepreneur. He's a very smart man, but really that cost plus drugs entity um, is 
is going through multiple variations of an original business model that they thought they were going to come out and be a manufacturer. And now they're forming, maybe they're going to become a wholesaler to uh, community pharmacies, independent community pharmacies. Maybe they're going to move to other manufactured drugs that they're, you know, they're designing. But the true cost plus pharmacy where there's an entity involved in the community that is a cost plus drug driven concept pharmacy that's what you're part of that's what this cost plus pharmacies.com is part of that's what i want to see exceed, mm -hmm. succeed because it would give freedom and sustainability and growth to the coming back to what is community pharmacy mm -hmm. what is independent community pharmacy i want you to talk with our listeners kind of about what we were talking about which is the difference between wholesale, um, the generic game, um, how the PBMs get involved, uh, the good RX slash, um, you know, rebate or, or club cards or rebate cards. And I think you mentioned that, um, you know, Mark Cuban cost plus drugs is coming out with what's their card called. Uh, they, they seem to refer to it as the Cuban, the Cuban team Cuban team Cuban card yeah, or whatever. It's but it's it's all I feel like you're flipping the same burger over and over again yeah. and all you're doing is spicing it differently but it's yeah. the same damn thing it's, it's exactly there's no right. difference yeah. whereas costpluspharmacies.com is literally an infrastructure entity in the community that's literally changing things because it's a cash driven system there's more control in this I kind of want to talk to the business minded community person i want to talk to the community um leadership i want to think of like city councils if the if the community understood the impact to their community if their pharmacy was a cost plus pharmacy there's literally more sustainability and control that isn't impacted by a big privately uh, i'm sorry a big corporation that is like an express scripts mm -hmm. or a OptumRx or so i think there it would be bringing healthcare control back to the community mm -hmm. in and of itself that you could get physicians understanding the difference you could get your community but there's a lot of education that goes into that my ribics cube as i hear you talk and uh, when i listen to you on other presentations and other podcasts my ribics cube that i'm trying to figure out is how do we develop organizations to get behind you to make the replication of cost plus pharmacies become a wildfire? Yeah, I think my goal is that it's natural and that it's not like a Rubik's cube. Because <laughs> 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 I, uh, despite being now 33 years old, I have not ever done successfully a Rubik's cube. Yeah, me either. <laughs> Too complicated. Yeah. The whole idea of cost plus pharmacies is that it's not complicated. It's literally taking pharmacy back to its roots. It's saying, hey, you know, it takes me this, it's parts plus labor and, and mechanics world. It's not complicated. And patient walks in, okay, it cost me this, I'll pass that cost on to you. And my time for doing that service was, you know, X amount, right? There's no, no complexity there whatsoever. And so the idea of, you know, I think the time will allow patients to realize that kind of that, that flip. Um, but really, it's just a lot of education from, a, you know, one of our biggest things is an awareness, right? Right. So as much as I um, don't like the Cuban approach to cost plus, because at the end of the day, it's just a PBM and a price setter for true pill pharmacy. Yep. Um, they are bringing a lot of awareness to um, all the different things that happen in the pharmacy setting that go around pricing medications. 
and they are bringing an awareness to the idea of cost plus. Um, granted, it's not the correct idea of cost plus, but um, and so I think that just the more pharmacies that open up, there's more pharmacies show up on that map. I think it'll just become patients will become aware of, hey, this is just an easier way, a, a much more straightforward way of doing pharmacy. It's a lot more transparent. Um, you know, from a patient perspective, they have no idea what goes on in a pharmacy right now. Uh, they have no idea how prices are set. You know, if you go to X pharmacy's website right now, uh, we'll just pick on CVS. If you go to CVS's website right now, there's no idea how much you're going to pay for your medication. Right. Exactly. Uh, and if we're talking about how healthcare is becoming more consumer driven, more, you know, patient uh, friendly, um, one of the biggest things that makes it patient friendly and consumer is knowing a price before you get that service. Yep. And um, so the fact that we, as a industry, haven't shown prices and still on, on the majority don't show prices is just a signal that that that's an institution that is about to break and it'll event because patients want transparency. Uh, lawmakers want transparency. Everybody wants transparency. Um, and, and so it's, it'll happen naturally. Um, and it's already ha it's happening, happening faster now than it's ever happened before. But that that institution will break, yeah. and so um, it's just a matter of time. And so, I really, I, I, you know, I don't think there's no there's no secret sauce to cost plus. Um, there's no like secret algorithm that we use at prices. Uh, there's no like complexity to it. It's just uh, we buy a drug and we sell it with a dispensing fee. Yeah. <laughs> That's all there is to it. Is there, there a cost there plus road? roadmap for primary care physicians to return to owning their practices instead of being, um, yeah, you know, hostage. I think, again, I think a lot of it has to do with um, being entre entrepreneurial minded and willingness to take a leap. Uh, that's really at the, the two ingredients that you need um, because pretty much every direct primary care that's had that you know, willingness to take the leap and done it, they've been financially rewarded and rewarded in the sense of freedom from the, the insurance driven marketplace. So um, in fact, I think all the direct primary care in Pittsburgh that have launched over the last six years have been quite successful. Mm -hmm. So, um, but there's a reason that, you know, most primary care are still part of the institution and still hate it is because they're too afraid to make that leap. I think similarly in, in all of healthcare, we'll see providers just more and more to say enough is enough and, and take the leap and get paid directly for their services. And a lot of it comes down to the fact that, you know, fundamentally what we do in pharmacy is not insurable. I heard you talk about it and Sean was like, I don't normally give Kyle credit for it, but <laughs> the, uh, and I can't even take credit for it myself. So I appreciate him giving me credit for it. But I first heard it on Mike Kelzer's podcast um, with uh, Robert Popovian. Uh, he's a ex Pfizer guy. Mm -hmm. And he made the analogy of, um, of you know car insurance we buy car insurance not for the oil changes not for the you know gasoline in our car we buy it for those high cost unknown events mm -hmm. and the, the high cost unknown event in healthcare is you know being hospitalized you know i also heard it um on um completely uh, unhealthcare related podcast uh it was with um maybe balaji sort of Austin, the tech guy mm -hmm. um very much in, into decentralized, you know, things, including decentralized healthcare. But the breakdown of, you know, we should have the, this idea in healthcare of where everything's insured is not correct. What we should have is, you know, ambulatory care and ambulance care. Ambulance care, high cost unknown, insurable. Ambulatory care, 
low cost, predictable things that we know we're going to have to do every year. And pharmacy very much, most of, almost all of pharmacy falls into that. Even the branded space, you know, we just saw Humalog get cut 70% mm-hmm. in cost. And now it's cheaper or it will be cheaper than it was whenever it first came out in like 1999 or something like that. So even on these branded drugs that we think are high cost right now, especially as a whole another world, but on some of these branded things like Eliquis, Duralto, things like that, we don't even know what their true costs are because there's this idea of rebates that go into them. So if we take rebates and if there's even more transparency on this branded space, which nobody wants, nobody wants, drug makers kind of want it, but don't really want it. Mm -hmm. PBMs for sure don't want the transparency there. But if we actually had transparency on the branded space, I'd imagine we'll see prices, true net prices um, fall. And actually some of that might even be affordable without insurance and not fall into the ambulance bucket. So, but most of what we do in pharmacy is just low cost, predictable things. Um, you, patient walking in, filling their receipts that in every single month till they die is not ambulance care. It's, yep. it's, uh, cheaper than a cup of coffee and you only do it every three months. You get coffee every day. Um, yeah. and so the fact that we expect insurance to be involved in that transaction is just why it's just evidence as to why healthcare is so expensive. The insurance company has to make money. Um, yep. pharmacy has to make money, you know, the auditing companies for insurance have to make money. All these like entities that are involved in this transaction are ridiculous. Whenever it's literally cheaper than a cup of coffee and you do it once every three months instead of every day. Mm-hmm. Um, all of that doesn't make sense. That's exactly to bring it back now to the car insurance world. Um, you know, we don't expect car insurance to cover our oil changes. It's because it's predictable. You, know, you might drive more than I do. So you might need an oil change more than I do, but I it's a low right cost. <laughs> I do too. I'm, I'm, I'm actually going behind. today. <laughs> to like a one. thousand miles behind or something like that. Today's episode is brought to you by Valvoline. <laughs> also behind on my inspection. So I need to get that <laughs> oh, geez. Stay uh, yeah. But, um, uh, yeah. So, you know, and the, the other analogy I make uh, recently is to Apple care. Do you get Apple care for your iPhone? I think I do. Okay. Yeah. Have you ever thought about getting it for your lightning cable? No. Why not? I don't know, because I just go out and buy another lightning cable. Because it's predictably that it's going to wear down at some point. Yep. Or you'll leave it at a friend's house. Yep. It's also low cost. You know your lightning cable is more expensive than uh, probably 90% of the drugs that we have at Blueberry Pharmacy. Jeez. No. Yeah. So you don't insure against the low cost predictable events, but people... Probably I mean, the majority of people get Apple Care for their iPhone because they know that replacement cost is high, and uh, you don't know when you're going to drop it or you know drop it in the toilet and drop it you know, and break the screen or anything like that. So uh, it's high cost, unpredictable event. So we insure against that. And so in pharmacy, I think we'll see this divergence. We'll see things that you know post rebate world. We'll see things that are just way too high cost for people to be expected to pay for out of their own pockets. And then things that are very low cost that nobody wants to even touch insurance uh, for. And so um, we're moving towards that world. Um, and that move- world is happening faster than I would have even anticipated like three years ago. Um, but I really think that's the future of pharmacy is that community pharmacy is where 90% plus of the medications sit. And insurance isn't involved at all because it's very low cost, very predictable. Uh, and then you'll have the insurance world where they're not even stocked in the community pharmacy. If you want those, you'll have to get it mailed to you directly or something like that. It might even be direct to consumer. You see it already, like um, Synthroid direct to consumer, uh, Synthroid direct to delivers.com, or, you know, um, 
Qsimia. There's just different products that already sell cheaper to the patient than the than the wholesalers can even sell to the pharmacy. They're like massively different. Like if I wanted to buy a Synthroid from my wholesaler, it'd be $120, $130 for a bottle of it. And patients can go get that same bottle directly from Synthroid for $75. It just doesn't make any sense. But it actually makes a lot of economic sense. Um, the fact that we, you know, don't just send it to the people that need brand Synthroid because there's a lot fewer no, no patients that need brand Synthroid. And so then we send those directly to the people that need it. And then everybody else, which is the 99% of patients that take Synthroid, we just have a big thousand count bottle of levothyroxine in our pharmacy and just dispense out of that for the people that need it. And there's no sense mailing it to those patients because 99% of patients that are on levothyroxine take the generic. Um, So we'll just see that happen over and over again um, in the future uh, because it just makes a lot more economic sense. And um, honestly, is a better um, way to do care. You know, we can spend a lot more time with our patients because we don't involve third parties. Uh, 30% of time spent in a community pharmacy is just troubleshooting insurance issues. Yeah. And so we just redirect that 30% into talking to patients, caring for patients, having longer conversations about their medications, um, lowering the cost. So if 30% of time is wasted with insurance, then that means that when time is money. We can lower our cost by 30%, something like that. So just a better, faster, um, more in-depth way of doing care. So you are a threat to the status quo, even though the status quo is not really paying attention to you because of in the realm of multi-millions of billions of dollars of insurance collection and PBM collection, DIR fees and revenue that they're generating, they're not paying attention to the cost plus pharmacies that are out there necessarily. I mean, it's certainly been announced they know it's out there but i'm sure that at the board meetings they shrug their shoulders or they don't even talk about it but there's going to be something that's going to happen at some point and this is like i want your opinion or your your views of when do you start becoming when do your models start to threaten the model that's there and the gnashing of teeth and the lawyers and the algorithms turn against an organization or a pharmacy that's cost plus is there a way that they can penalize you for not using PBMs? Is there a way for them to get health and human services involved for inspections? Or, or let's talk about inspections. Are you is your pharmacy inspected the same way that another pharmacy is that's tied into the insurance world or the mm-hmm. PBM world? And I'm not just talking about um, the FDA or the um, DEA or just state regulators mm-hmm. for safety. I'm talking about like auditing your books per se to see how things are going. Or have you made it so simple that there's there's not fear of that happening? Nobody, the only person that cares about, you know, whether or not we're doing pharmacy right was the State Board of Pharmacy, okay. DEA, and the patient and okay. the provider, right? So if we fail, we fail the patient. Um, there's no third-party involvement. So they don't, you know, they're not holding, you know, they're not penalizing us in any way if, you know, yeah, there's, there's no auditing. There's, there's no nothing. Auditing. Yeah. There's no third party involvement. So am I fearful of um, PBMs? No, I think that PBMs are, uh, they're facing more scrutiny now than they ever have. Right. And, and um, so I think they've got many more problems than just, that's probably why they we're not on their radar is one we're we're small. Um, even the six of us that are out there doing it, <laughs> small. 
uh, you know, Cuban might be a little bit of a threat, but at the, at the end of the day, he's still, you know, using a PBM for his model. Um, and so, I mean, basically, as I, I don't know that they're actually using a PBM, but they're price setting for True Pill, so they're not even pharmacy. Um, but yeah, I'm not really worried about a PBM because they're facing so many battles right now that um, this is a, a minor one. But I do think we're an existential threat for them if if we're if cost plus pharmacies across the country pop up and we're able to t carve out basically the full generic um, market for, from their benefit, then that's where they've historically made a ton of money is the generic market, um, wh whether it's spread pricing or, you know, saying that X drug costs a thousand dollars and it's, you know, they're filling it through their mail order and they're only, you know, actually paying $20 for that medication. That's how they're making a ton of their money. So I imagine if we're able to successfully carve out a significant portion of their generic market that um, they'll start to feel it. But uh, yeah, I don't, I don't see them being a threat in any way because they can't, they can't pull our contract from us. They can't, you know, audit us, take back a bunch of money. Right. Um, they've never given us money, <laughs> so they can't take anything back. So you say the entrepreneurial angle and the risk angle of getting into this is you've done it. So you've proven that it can be done. And you started right from the get-go. So when you opened up Blueberry Pharmacy's doors, it was club slash cash-based. And you never had to make a, a transfer. You never really had to go from the PBM to cost plus. It was right out of the gate, right? That's mm -hmm. how you did it. And in your opinion, that's probably easier to do it from opening than it is from the transfer. It's hard to say. Um, I imagine probably the... I had no relationships in Pittsburgh. <laughs> like, okay. so I was working in Indiana, PA, um, and uh, and COVID struck. Right, so m me opening Blueberry Pharmacy was uh, March twentieth. Was our first day. The state shut down on March twenty third. Oh, jeez. Yeah, twenty third. So it was a Friday, and the state shut down on on Monday. Uh, not to mention, you know, all of my prescriber and patient relationships were an hour and a half away from me. Um, so not necessarily the smartest way <laughs> to, to like start up a pharmacy, but you know, we did it. Um, and, and so I, I do think that, you know, um, do I think it's easy trans to transition? No, but at least you have some of those relationships there. If you leverage them correctly, uh, I'd imagine you can pretty ha have a pretty successful transition. Uh, I also think that, you know, if you're a, a frustrated chain pharmacist that has built up a ton of you know patient relationships, and um, prescriber relationships, and you said, "Hey, I'm just going to go ahead and open up my own pharmacy, and I'm going to do it cost plus." Well, that's also smarter than the way we did it. <laughs> uh, and if you don't do try to decide to do that at the beginning of a pandemic, right? Because you already have all those patient relationships, and patients will come to you. Um, they'll a lot of patients, you know, develop a relationship with their pharmacist uh, as they should. And so, um, you know, if, if uh, and it's been repeated over and over, a lot of successful independent pharmacies that are startups they're frustrated chain pharmacists that decide hey i'm just i'm gonna stop working for the, the man and yep. just become my own boss and uh and so i think that's a, a pretty replicated model for startup and so just pair that with a cost plus model and yes not everybody's going to be able to come to you um from your previous you know position but a decent number of them that have maybe commercial insurance or medical medicare or something like that can make the jump pretty easily because it might not even be, it might even be cheaper for some of them to, to make the switch to a cost plus pharmacy. So, so yeah, I think there's several way, angles to go at it. Um, ours is probably the hardest way to go. At it. <laughs> I want to shift gears and give a, a call out 
to Doug Hoy and Kurt Proctor and National Community of, you know, NCPA, National Community Pharmacists Association. Have have they reached out to you? Have you talked to them? Have you said, hey, this is a freedom-oriented business model that could literally change the entire game? Because right now, NCPA, their lobbying organizations that they tie into, the senators and state representatives that they're talking to, how long they've worked. So I've been in pharmacy since 2004. So I remember when Bruce Roberts was the CEO of NCPA, Doug Hoy was vice president. I remember the controversial shakeup and Bruce Roberts kind of selling his soul to the you know, PBMs and whatever else was going to, but then all of a sudden I started seeing changes in NCPA becoming a lot more aggressive right around 2010. And then all of a sudden 2015 hit, they started doing some more, um, they started really making ways into the States. And then um, the Arkansas PBM case blew up, uh, hit the Supreme Court. They've been behind the scenes and supporting this. So I, I applaud the NCPA for their work. However, is it time for them to become more aggressive in designing some kind of program where they come to the costpluspharmacies.com and say, hey, this is a program that not only are we going to endorse, but we're going to get behind, go to a first national bank or live oak bank who's infiltrate, you know, in integrated into pharmacy, and we're going to create special packages that can literally help us get. And that's the fire I was talking about. When mm -hmm. I said it to spread it and you were like, it's, it's simple. I'm trying to think of infrastructure mm -hmm. that can stand behind the Kyle McCormick's throughout the country to accelerate this model so that you don't have to feel like you're barely going to make it. And I know that that's an entrepreneur. I mean, I'm an entrepreneur and mm -hmm. I worry about my cash flow and I worry about sustainability. We were even talking about that. Where's podcasting going? Well, I know I have to move into consumer to make this work. I know I have to do it. I'm 50 years old. I got 10 to 20 years left in me to make enough money to retire and retire in a way that all I want to do is travel to pharmacy conferences and be a, be a speaker. That's it. So for me to sustain that, I need to find models that are going to support me to, to level up. So what are your thoughts around what infrastructure behind you do you need to put in place to be able to spread this throughout mm -hmm. the country? Yeah, so I think um, from the organization standpoint, yeah, I mean they've been supportable, supportive in the sense that like we've we've gone to the NCPA and talked uh, at the national meetings, things like that, about the model. Um, just was at PPA recently and spoke about the model there. I think you know one of the biggest challenges is that you know PBMs are so much of a focus, and my pushback would be to to, to what end, you know. Yes, we made a lot of progress, as you highlighted with PBMs, you know, made a lot of progress, but nothing super meaningful is how I might phrase that uh, towards, you know, targeting PBMs. And yes, they've, they're now facing probably the most scrutiny that they've ever faced in there. But I also think, you know, um, at what cost, right? I think of all the probably, you know, millions of dollars that have spent on fighting PBMs and, um, and, uh, all the pharmacies that have gone out of business, you know, Gaddy being one of them, hometown apothecary being another two that I've been at um, because of PBM practices and maybe not enough focus on what's, the, what can be done. Like what is the way that doesn't involve PBMs? Right. I, I, that's my biggest, you know, challenge to any organization that's fighting against PBMs, including pharmacies themselves is PBMs are a business. 
their business model. They they answer to shareholders. They they have to you know pr- show profitability just like a pharmacy does. Yep. So they're not charities. <laughs> so yep. they their goal is to make as much money as possible too. Just like a pharmacy's goal is to scale and grow and and be a profitable business. And yes, I know that you know there's it's unethical what they're doing, but at the end of the day, they are a business. And so I don't see a world in which they're like, here, here's some extra reimbursement because, you know, we lined our pockets too much. Yep. The legislation can force them to do that. And so I, I think that, yes, we should, you know, keep the pressure on them, the legislators to, you know, find another way to do it. But I also think that as an organ or as organizations and as an industry, we should focus on, you know, and also some of the most successful pharmacies now have realized that the the way forward is not to keep asking for more from PBMs. It's to find other ways to make money. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that's why you've seen, you know, a ton of moving around vaccines and um, cash paying services and, and um, ways that just don't involve PBMs. And I think that's the way forward is that we'll, with time, the industry will realize. And unfortunately, um, you know, by the time we get PBM reform, I don't know who's left. Yeah. Right. Like right. You know, what's all, what's the reform matter if nobody's around to see the reform. Right. Yep. Um, now, if reform actually happens, it creates a thriving marketplace for new and exist, you know, new and exciting pharmacies to, to start up. But I, I often ask, like, what's all this work for it? You know, what cost is it at uh, versus if we just poured all that effort and money into thinking about how do we do pharmacy differently? Yep. Um, kind of what you've outlined is, you know, and I give credit to CPSN. Um, they created a direct pay working group to think about different ways of whether it's, you know, um, creating models like, you know, cost plus or creating, you know, uh, a backbone to organizations to, um, help with cash paying, um, service, uh, means, uh, so CPSN has kind of identified it as, you know, this is the future is more cash paying, more direct pay. Um, and so I think organizations just have to realize that, yes, we need to fight PBMs, but, I, you know, my challenge back is, you know, if we do, if we do end up winning, who's, who's left yep. after that battle? Do you um, remember the book, the blue ocean? No, nah, no. So there's a, there's a strategy book that I'd like you to look up and I know that you'll enjoy it. It's called the blue ocean strategy. The concept of the book and shame on me. I can't even remember the author of this book, but the concept of the blue ocean strategy was to go into blue waters where the sharks that were that were trying to go after the same fish. So what what they're saying is is if you're a if you're a bunch of community pharmacies and you're all after business and you're all churning and you're all gnashing of teeth and you're all biting at the fish, then you're in a red ocean of blood, right? Whereas the blue ocean concept is is go into waters that have never been never been fished before mm-hmm. and go fish there or go you know, into a whole nother environment where it's a blue ocean. It's a brand new way of thinking. So once again, uh, to shout out to NCPA and, and CPSN and Flip the Pharmacy that was a was an amazing program, still amazing program that uh, was supported by some of the state associations. Instead of those member fees that NCPA is collecting to go towards fighting the PBMs, if they started creating the supportive transitional programs to take pharmacies that would be that could fill out some kind of application that could turn in their P&L that could like be very transparent with some organization to help them make the the change is that what we need from the associations to be yeah. more blue ocean thinking 
Probably. Yeah. I like the analogy there. Cause I honestly think that's why, you know, cost plus is and why also to, to back to the, you know, the question of, is it easier to start out from scratch or transition is you're transitioning. You're, you're like uh, in the red ocean. Right. Yep. <laughs> and so I have not heard that analogy or that, that phrase, but uh, versus a startup, you're just starting out in the blue ocean yep. and um, you don't have to think about it. Uh, you know, you don't have to, sell down your expensive brand inventory. Cause you, you don't, the other big thing that I tell people that are looking to transition is one of your biggest challenges is now you're marketing two business models, right? You have to have two different marketing messages. Hey, even the, the two different pharmacy approach of, Hey, the, you know, patients use this pharmacy, uh, for your brands, which we do too. But the, the difference is that we only exist to fill patients to generic medications and, offer the fairest and most transparent prices on those generic medications. So when we're out talking to patients, it's all that is the messaging. Prescribers, that is the messaging. The hard thing is if you're operating two different business models, it's like, okay, and now you know we have these two different pharmacies. You want to use this one for this one, this one for this one, and you got to spend all your resources helping people identify which uh, marketing message. you got to double spend your marketing uh, dollars to yep. market both models. So I just think it's harder to do both. Um, and it probably relates to that blue ocean strategy is if you start out in a world where you're the only one doing it. Um, yes, it's hard in that you've got to educate a lot of people because no, they've never seen it before. Um, but once it starts to catch on, it's kind of, a, you know, a way, you know, it starts the wave uh, to continue ocean, ocean analogy as yeah. it gets the wave going. And uh, yeah, it starts small, but uh, with time, I mean, the growth that we've seen over the last three months is ridiculous in comparison. I mean, a new patient wise, um, in a two month time, we had added, you know, 140 new patients. Uh, whereas six months ago in the two month time, we had only added like 60 patients. Right. Mm-hmm. So we're just snowballing, uh, in, in a sense, um, in terms of growth, which is exciting, challenging, you know, uh, but I think that a lot of it has to do with that. We've only got one marketing message. Um, and I think it would be hard, you know, to do a mixed model or something like that. Right. Your whole family's involved because your wife's a pharmacist too, right? She is. Yeah. Yeah. And she's definitely very, she came up with the name Blueberry Pharmacy ah. too. So uh, I give her a lot of credit. Uh, she's also very supportive. Um, in terms of day to day though, uh, she works at UPMC Mercy. She's a, um, a ER pharmacist. Okay. Uh, and she doesn't really like community pharmacy. So <laughs> Uh, it's, she luckily hasn't had to staff a day in a while. Uh, not luckily she views it as luckily hasn't had to staff a day because, uh, <laughs> no, uh, she does great when she's there, but, uh, it's not her cup of tea. So why'd she pick blueberry? Because when I think of blueberries, they're, they're, they're wonderful fruits, they're antioxidants to our system. Is there some concept in blueberry of why? No, it was, I you know people love Apple products, but <laughs> Apple has nothing to do with computers. So like... <laughs> I just asked her, I said, what's the fruit that hasn't been taken? She she came up with blueberry pharmacy and watermelon health. And we decided that blueberries are healthier than watermelons. So <laughs> came yeah, up with the, the logo. Less, yeah, yeah. Less sugar and better antioxidants. Yeah, yeah exactly. So. That's great. I love that. So that's, I want to keep, because I've always supported pharmacy as a service provider. I came mm-hmm. from the pharmacy technology realm. Um, so I think of, our Pioneer RX, I think of Liberty, I think of Framework LTC, I think of all these pharmacy systems. How do our systems, how do our wholesalers, how do our um, marketing companies, how do they surround and corral and support the cost plus pharmacies so that we can once again 
I want to grow faster because I'm afraid that PBMs are going to catch up and transform their algorithms and do things that are going to be anti entrepreneurial and anti independent pharmacy, which they already are. I mean, that, mm -hmm. that's all they are is anti pharmacy and anti health. It's all about the insurance. It has nothing mm -hmm. to, to me. And I, I'm, I'm very jaded. It, it's, it's about their profits and it has nothing to do with healthcare. Mm -hmm. It's all about the profits. I don't think, honestly, I think, I think that I'm not too worried uh, maybe as much as you are. Uh, Cause I, th I think they've kind of retreated from pharmacy to some extent. Like if you look at where they're making most of their actions, it's in the primary care space. Right. It's no longer, I think they've realized that they squeezed pharmacy about as dry as they can. Mm -hmm. um, they'll keep squeezing and more pharmacies will go out of business. But I, I don't think that like, I'm not as fearful that like they're interested in like, you know, uh, stopping, stopping. And anyway, I mean, maybe if it goes bigger and bigger, but, um, yeah, I think, I think they're still focused now on, you know, direct primary care, not direct, primary, but primary care space is so important. I mean, even pharmacy, we're trying to add pharmacy as an industry is trying to get more and more into the primary care space. So I think that's the next battlefront. I don't, I don't see it being the pharmacy component of it. Uh, I think that's pretty, pretty much a uh, scorched earth. And now it's like, see yep. what it comes back. <laughs> well, so when, when we heard about the rise of pizzas not working with Dr. Blood Tanoe, who's going to be at the APHA with us um, for the 2023, we're the media partner. I'm so proud of that. And shout out to APHA. Um, Candace Lucilla, who's their host. Um, when I think of burnout and when I think of national stories that have come out of pharmacy, Nobody realizes that because of PBMs is the domino effect of why we're here with pharmacy burnout in major chain pharmacy where they're having to close pharmacies and they're like, we have a staffing issue and there's not enough pharmacists and all of us internal to pharmacies, like that's a bunch of crap. P people don't want to work in your environments anymore. Mm -hmm. And that's why you don't have enough pharmacists to, to staff. So when I think of what, see, I think that there's more impact cost plus pharmacies impact to literal healthcare than just the business model. I literally think that this could spread to revitalizing the way pharmacists feel about their careers. Mm -hmm. Talk to me about burnout in the realm of cost plus pharmacies in the freedom that they have in comparison to these chains that are driving pharmacists to hating their jobs and hating the industry. Yeah, and that's why I honestly think it'll happen naturally. I mean, there's definitely ways to throw fuel on a fire, right? But I think that um, you know, if we talk about pharmacy from first principles, you have a drug, you need to move the drug. You can you know involve all this you know nonsense, but that only increases costs. So I think from a first principles approach, the lowest cost way of providing care is to take out everything that doesn't add value, and so literally get rid of everything except for the pharmacist and the, the drug and the patient, right? Um. And so uh, I think it'll spread naturally, but one of the reasons why I believe it'll spread naturally is because patients love it and providers love it, right? The patient loves it because, you know, we might, I have Medicaid patients that, you know, prior to them having Medicaid, they were uninsured and they've grown to love our service. And I know that we'll, we'll never price gouge them. We'll always look out for what's the lowest cost, most effective therapy for them. We'll act on their behalf if they get prescribed something that's not the lowest cost most effective therapy for them. And uh, I, I mean, the one patient that said, Hey, I'm going to stick with you. He said, I've, you've never screwed me. Like I, I walked prior to coming to you, I, w I would go to Rite Aid and they'd ask me to like basically sell my right arm. 
in order to buy this medication, uh, you from day one, I've only ever said it's like 10 bucks. Yeah. <laughs> and so like, um, and so whenever he ended up getting on Medicaid, he said, I'm going to keep coming to you unless I'm not allowed to. I said, you're allowed to do whatever. It's your money. You're allowed to do whatever you want. Like, yeah, I can't bill your insurance, but if you're willing to pay out of pocket, only on a couple of medications. So, um, but we have a couple of Medicaid patients that have continued to come with us just because it's not because they get lower costs. You can't, you can't beat Medicaid copays. It's because they, they view that service as being important to them. I mean, we have a handful of, you know, actually more than a handful of patients who have just started getting everything. So, in the cost plus world initially, so some patients will come to us maybe for just one or two medications because, you know, they might have Medicare and zero dollar copays on the others. Uh, but a lot of those patients now have realized it's just so simple. You know, I don't need a vacation override for my lisinopril, <laughs> right? The fact that like nobody wants to take extra lisinopril, <laughs> right? And so like the how protective insurance companies are about lisinopril or any medication that's like not controlled or can be abused or anything like that is just kind of ridiculous. Um, because, you know, they put so many hoops in front of patients to get access to their medications that it doesn't make sense. You know, if I need a vacation override, why I have to call five people in order to get my lisinopril and not have to pay, you know, cash price, ridiculous price for it. And patients come to us and they just realize, hey, instead of needing all these prior offs and all that stuff, I can just get my medications to you from you for very inexpensive. Um, so I'm just going to get everything from you. I know I could get it for free through my Medicare, but just so easy to get it all at once. Like we don't have to short fill anything if we don't want the patient doesn't want us to like if, if they want to sync up all their medications and they're not controlled, we'll just fill all, all four of them for 90 days right today. <laughs> like, it's like, like, yeah, I'm not worried about abuse because most, most of the time we have to encourage patients to take their medications. And yeah. so like you can't misuse your, you can misuse your uh, hypertension meds, but you're not going to like anything I have to watch to make sure you're actually using them enough. Right. So, uh, uh, patients love it, you know, pharmacists love it. And um, it's resonated, probably the cosmos movement has resonated most. Early on, it was like, we 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 heard from more pharmacists than we heard from patients. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like more pharmacists were reaching out like, hey, this is really cool. And it's like, hey, yeah, we haven't, we haven't made any money yet. So like, <laughs> <laughs> why are you, why are you why so are interested it? in this? But it really just resonated with pharmacists. And I truly believe it did because they they see the nonsense that goes on in the insurance-based world. They see that, hey, I'm just driven to fill hundred medications. Like I, I spend 80% of my time filling medications that we lose money on or like not lose money on, but we don't get paid enough to even make any money on yep. after labor costs. And then I have to spend the last 20% of my time filling drugs that actually make up the rest of the, all the revenue source, right? All the yep. profit source. So, uh, that's not a healthy way of doing business. If you spend, I, I, I heard another pharmacist talking about it, you know, I'm incentivized to care more about patients that I make money on and give less time and less care towards patients that I lose money on. And in reality, we should be incentivized to pay as much to care for each patient equally. Mm -hmm. If you have, I shouldn't be incentivized to, you know, treat you better because your plan behaves better for lisinopril than maybe this other plan. Uh, so yeah. I'm going to watch your hypertension a little closer than I'm going to, you know, watch this. doesn't make any sense. Right. Like, you both have hypertension. I need to watch them both appropriately. You're both on the same medication. I need to watch your potassium levels, right? So um, it just makes a lot of sense whenever a pharmacist thinks about it because, hey, this is actually how it should be. Like I should be paid the same to watch both patients' hypertension. Yeah. Um, and so I think it really resonates with pharmacists as well for that reason. So I think naturally it'll happen because patients want it and pharmacists want it. The only people that probably don't want it are the people profiting off the current system. Yeah.
So, all right. So what about other things that are happening? Uh, I think of point of care testing, which is rising in pharmacists and pharmacist control to get the data back on those point of care tests to come mm-hmm. back to one of their platforms that they can jump into and and that take analysis and move forward with some additional therapy. Um, medication management obviously is attached to that. I think of pharmacogenomics. I think of um, blood testing. There's a new company coming out called Babson Diagnostics that's going to put a blood testing kit right inside a community pharmacy that you can charge cash for. Everything that I'm talking about is cash driven mm-hmm. now. So are is Cost Plus pharmacies starting to teach their pharmacies and or is Blueberry utilizing other services that are ancillary to medication management? Not yet. So our, our initial goal is just to prove out the model, prove out that people were willing to pay out of pocket for their medications, scale that up. We do believe that other services should be happening in a community pharmacy setting, whether that be point of care testing, vaccines, but um, any number of things, right? But uh, we have a really singular focus right now, okay. and that's just proving out the cost plus model um, for, for, for dispensing. Uh, as we scale that up and um, make that, you know, the standard, then what will be differentiating will be things like different services that we offer. So with time, we'll definitely be doing those services. It's more of just um, figuring out when the right time is for that. Yeah. And then I also think of um, partnerships that you're building. Um, does your wholesaler act any different because your cost plus versus, you know, an old model. Is there a preference of, um, you remember in the day when I ran a a GPO, it wasn't a true GPO. It was just a buying group with a, the name GPO in it. Mm -hmm. Uh, but we had a primary care, I'm sorry, a primary wholesaler. And then we had a couple secondaries and our buying group members had to be at I think it was like 82 or 85 or 90% of their wholesale, like that whole mixture of relationships. How's that tied into cost plus pharmacies? Does it change? Is it any different? Yeah, um, definitely. It, it will look differently. I'm not sure what the future of wholesaler looks like. Yeah. Um, because if, if it's true, what I kind of described earlier, where brands are going to be fulfilled direct to consumer or mail order insurance based, and wholesalers don't really need to stock those either. Mm-hmm. So wholesalers will really only be dealing in generics. So I'm not sure what the future of wholesaler looks like, but um, definitely a big shout out to Value Drug. Um, they're our primary wholesaler because our, our model is different, right? Um, uh, you know, the different thresholds that wholesalers will place on pharmacies don't quite make sense. So the idea of a generic utilization ratio or, you know, generic compliance ratio or whatever it's called, um, we only deal in generics. Yep. So um, the, occasionally we'll do like an armor thyroid or um, um, before learning about Synthroid delivers, you know, I just refer patients there now. But um, mm-hmm. we do an occasional Synthroid or something like that, right? But we're not really doing any brands. Um, and so our generic ratio is basically 100% every single time. Uh, so that's kind of a metric that doesn't make sense anymore. Um the idea of dollar thresholds to some degree probably still makes sense, but like at what dollar amount does it make sense? So like some secondaries, they'll have hundred dollar shipping minimums. Right. Mm -hmm. But a lot of the primaries anymore, they still have um, some amount they want you to buy every single month. Right. And it's in the tens of thousands of dollars. Right. You know, uh, and that doesn't make sense. Mm -hmm. Um, 
you know, if I had to hit, you know, let's say it's $40,000 a month and I'm buying drugs that literally are pennies, mm-hmm. uh, like metformin, uh, let's do some math, like a bottle of a thousand count metformin is 20 bucks. So, you know, a hundred, I could buy five. So if I've got to, you know, do 4,000 times that now, I don't know, 400 times that, something like that. Uh, that's a lot of metformin I'm right. pushing every single one. So it's just, yeah. it's almost impossible for a community pharmacy to p- move that much generic in a month. So I think we'll see those numbers kind of change from mm-hmm. a primary standpoint, just because that's a ton of generic volume to be moving. And it just doesn't make sense. But it's okay, I think, if the whole, uh, there'll be a reckoning and, and uh, wholesalers will have to adjust, but I, I think we'll see some adjustment. Um, but wholesalers, they don't make money in wholesaling brands anyhow. So from my understanding, I, I you know, I don't know the ins and outs, but yeah. from my understanding, there's not much money to be made in wholesaling brand names anyhow, uh, especially with the discounts that pharmacies search for on brands because pharmacies are getting losing reimbursement on brands anyhow. So really all the money in wholesaling is made on generics anyhow. So, you know, if you can have pharmacies that are have, helping you move more generics, um, I think that that's probably better for the wholesaler too. It's just a matter of figuring out that nice middle ground of what's a what's a reasonable volume to ask for a pharmacy to move if they're only doing generics. Like forty thousand dollars in Lantis, I mean, <laughs> or or uh, forty thousand dollars in Humira. That's like five boxes a month. Sure, I only need five patients to be on Humira. But whenever we're talking about like forty thousand dollars, and even even one of the specialty generics that we do, it's only twenty bucks a bottle. That's that's a ton of patience that I would need right. to get in order to move that much generic every single month. So I think I think we'll see some 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 of those metrics that are set by wholesalers have to change because it just doesn't make sense whenever a pharmacy's generic only. So pharmacy owners listening to you right now, or a pharmacist that works at a national chain's listening to you right now, and they want nothing more to move to this model, and they've heard about it, they want to learn more about it, I want you to talk to our audience right now as to what steps to take to make this kind of like in a, to evaluate it. And then, um, you know, is there a way to reach out to costpluspharmacies.com and really get more information on how to implement this? You're really about evaluating it. Um, so you've got to have a love for a community pharmacy. Number one. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you got to have a, an entrepreneur. So you've got to have a lot of grit. Like we've, I mean, you were talking about being an entrepreneur, but you know, the grind um, of, and you've got to be able to take a leap and have somebody that's very supportive. Like wouldn't have been able to, to do it without my wife. Right. Um, and so you have to have some means of support during the first, you know, year or two where you're really not making anything right mm-hmm. um and, and just a grind to keep at it every day you'll, you'll be it's discouraging whenever the, the whole uh industry is not like you yeah. and and you feel like oh i'm doing something different i'm doing something cool that's that's great like 80 percent of the time you need something that you know helps you through the 20 percent of the time where it's just like the whole world's against me because yeah. <laughs> sometimes it feels awesome to be the unique player Something that's doing something different uh, that can be really exciting, but then uh, probably twenty percent of the time it's just like you know nobody's like me and, and the whole world's set up against me and um, you know at times it feels like you know we have a local physician group that has a um, care based contract 
is incentivized to make patient make sure patients with diabetes are on statins, right? Um, they get money from the insurance company. So that's all claims based. And um, one of the things they do is uh, ask patients that are cashing out their their statins, say, hey, why aren't you putting this through there? They had a patient that, who uses our pharmacy for her statin. They called her and said, hey, why aren't you filling this at a normal pharmacy? She's like, I am. I'm using blueberry pharmacy. She said, well, yeah. We mean, why aren't you using your insurance for it? And she's like, I don't, I don't need to. Don't need it. And like, well, at least once a year, the insurance needs to know that you're getting it. And she's like, I don't need to do anything. And I said, well, why don't, why don't we just fill it at a local pharmacy, uh, and then we'll mail it to you. We'll take care of the copay that's associated with. We'll take care of the shipping cost to mail it to you. She's like, that's your money. You can do what you want to do. Um, and, uh, so they did, they mailed it to her. And then two weeks later they said, you know, did you take that statin yet? And she said, no, I told you, I already get it. She's 102% compliant at Blueberry Pharmacy. She's like, I, I'm sending my count, counter cause I don't need it. I said, good. We sent you the wrong patient's medication. So that's the idea of healthcare is what insurance wants. That's what right. is incentivized through the current system is, you know, that duplicative fraudulent likely, Right. Uh, form of of insurance where, or uh, of healthcare where the insurance is the end all be all and has to know every single claim that goes through and dictates what you know what statin you have to be on and um, that's the ideal world according to the current model and so the day that I heard that story I was like you know you feel like the whole world's against you <laughs> like the whole model's against you the current um, and so that day was pretty rough you know I was like if this whole prescriber practice now hates me because I don't submit claims are we done for? Right. Right. And so, um, very discouraging. Uh, but then the other, you know, 80% of the time is like, you know, you hear from pharmacies and you're like, they want to be like you and you hear from patients, how much money you've saved them and how freeing it feels. Yeah. Uh, and then that 80% feels great. So yeah. you have to have a ton of grit to order in order to like, keep, keep going. Um, and, but yeah, those, those are some of the ingredients for success is just, uh, the willingness and the, the kind of, infrastructure to back you if you're interested in learning more i want everyone to type in costpluspharmacies.com uh, you can see it on the screen if you're uh, listening to just the podcast it's costpluspharmacies.com um there's a link at the bottom too that people can reach out if they're like oh yeah want to learn more uh yeah there is right sign there. up there yeah so i'm excited i want to do whatever we can um at the show to bring this up once in a while um i'd like to have you and maybe a couple of pharmacies pharmacy owners back to kind of uh debate uh the you know the model to model and and maybe even go head to head and there's some other ideas that you've come up with for programming that i think i'm gonna i'm gonna kick around because i really love it um you did something amazing with helping p4s prepare for the naplex uh, back in the day and we have the naplex podcast that we we know has been a, a great supplementary tool to learning and refreshing to get ready for that. But this is your life. This is my life. Um, I've known you for a while and I just, I love the thought of the freedom that you're presenting to community pharmacy. I have that sweet spot of when I say ownership and in, in independent pharmacy, I don't just think of community. I think of independently owned specialty, independently owned long-term care, independently owned um, mix and, and compounding. And, what gets me kind of even gives me chills is to think what if each of those models could go cost plus, you know, what if the specialty 
disease state realm could become a cost plus realm and taking those literal costs that are multi billions of dollars and dropping it drastically because they've I know, but who knows? If I that's told, more of a that's more of a manufacturer problem. If I'd have told you five years ago, you know what I mean? So anyway, that that's kind yeah. of like I see yeah. I see this being a domino effect. I I see that you've started something that is going to become this is like the true cost plus pharmacies model versus the sizzle that you know Mr. Cuban's out there. Mm-hmm. Um, pushing because he's also the one that sold people on nfts and <laughs> yeah. altcoins so i just watch <laughs> yeah just watch to see what's sexy those, and those what's all real. uh those all went down <laughs> but i down i wanted to thank you for being part of twerks today and yeah. um this week in pharmacy this has been an absolute honor for us to have you here and talking to us but um am i going to see at ncpa in october or no is it october or november october. I, I never know what i'm doing until like okay. two months before so <laughs> well that's possible. great well um we've enjoyed having you is there anything you want to say to the audience no, thanks for, yeah thanks for having me uh glad i got to see the studio it's pretty uh, pretty cool <laughs> so. yeah if you guys can get down to the studio and and come in um if you're in the in the tri-state area, Ohio, uh, West Virginia, or, or southwestern Pennsylvania, you are welcome to come to Twerks and to the Pharmacy Podcast headquarters. But and it sits atop a cafe, and the coffee was pretty <laughs> yeah. darn delicious. That's <laughs> pretty cool yes. setup. Well, thank you very much. Yeah, thank you. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you. Um, stay tuned for next week. Hey, we are. Um, Excited about where Twerks is going this week in pharmacy. If you have a topic that you want to bring to us, please do so. Um, reach out to us, publisher at pharmacypodcast.com. That's publisher at pharmacypodcast.com. Thank you for what you do as pharmacists, as pharmacy technicians. This is why we do what we do to improve our profession and to support you and amplify your voice. And um, we'll talk to you next week at the APHA 2023 live um event of recording um i believe our twerks episode will be out um 2 p.m on friday it's going to be a pre-record that we're going to do with several pharmacy innovators and leaders so stay tuned and we'll see you next time on this week in pharmacy